My name's Pam Canty, and I'm a member of the Arboretum Community Group. This morning's reading is taken from Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me. For I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. For some of us, um, reading the word of God is just reading something, right? And for others, as we see in the response of um, Ms. Canty there, it's life, right? It's real. Um, it's her story. Um, so thank you for reading the scripture this morning. But thank you so much more for being real this morning. Um, we're going to start a new sermon series today um, that I <clears throat> wrote, um, I guess it's been 10 years ago now. And um, I just think it's apropos. I think it's appropriate for us to kind of go through the, this series again as a church um, uh, called American Idols. And I originally called it American Idols because American Idols was a hot show then. Before the mass Singer and all the rest of that crazy stuff. It's the same show, y'all. It's the same show. The voice. It's the same thing. Um, but it started with, um, what was that show? Uh, the Stars with Star Search. Mm-hmm. How many of y'all know about Star Search? Okay, a good many know about Star Search. The original. No, there. okay, we don't know how far it goes back. I'm so sure somebody says, no, Star Search wasn't the first one. <clears throat> Grandma and the former right Reverend Emmanuel Hezekiah Peace went to church this morning. <laughs> Grandma gets up for the 3,375th time. That's like 65 years of church. Minus a few days of sickness, snow days, but plus a special few Christmas and Easter programs. She comes in once again 
to add to the 250000 she has given in tithes and offerings over the last 65 years on an average income, to possibly put on her choir robe for the 25th hundredth time. Would have been more if it weren't for that young people's gospel choir taking a spot. And in a parallel motion, the right reverend goes to church for the 3,000th time, this time not to preach or pray or lead God's people, especially after years of skimming some off the top, living fat on the church tithe, playing the game. With unsure tears, the same tears that he manufactured to deceive people, he goes in and both of them begin to pray. A missionary to Darfur and a child pornographer went to church last week. The missionary from Darfur was fresh from building homes, digging wells, and smuggling hungry children to safety and food. Child pornographer was fresh from a night of downloading pics. Driven by a guilt he has never experienced, he goes to church. And they both begin to pray. The idol of self-writing religious turns things upside down. It makes things unpredictable because according to Jesus' parable, if we were to parallel the people in the way we despise certain folk in society, and justly so, because of some of the ways they've injured and hurt our communities and individuals. His illustrating story, in his illustrating story, grandma's time may mean 65 years of good behavior and action could be less justifying by God than the right reverence outwardly distrustful prayer of repentance. That the prayer of a missionary in Darfur may pale in comparison to that of a night before guilt-ridden sex offender. That an idol of self-writing religion can trick the eyes, right, is what Jesus is saying, and keep the heart and soul in the dark and make us seek alternatives to the established institutionalized church's version of religion. What we also see from this parable is that religious practice in and of itself is not the problem. Both people in this passage that we've read in this parable are spiritual. They both are going to church. They're both going to prayer meeting. They're both going to a congregational meeting, an instituted thing. So the idol of religion is not about having religious institutions or structure or commitment or practice of prayer or even rituals. No, religious practice becomes an idol when those things are used first to put on what I would describe as a moral talent show, a performance, a competition. Look at the Pharisee in our passage. He stands up 
He proclaims in a way to say, look at me. My turn to be center stage. It's a performance of self-centered, self-exalting, self-empowered righteousness. It's a soliloquy of goodness, not Shakespearean style, but a soliloquy of what I would describe self-spearean style, right? And eloquence. The passage says he began to pray, and, and this is from a different translation, about himself. Ours says by himself. See, it's all about being seen in his prayer and accepted as the one who has it right, who does it right. It's about showing off. Some of you have discovered in a revealed family secret, or maybe in the confines of the home or in a moment of moral failure that grandma and granddaddy and even your mom and dad or so-called Christian friends have been in show business and called it Christianity. You've hated that. You've run from that. Right? The, the new word is you want a, an, a, an authentic experience of Christianity. And, and the reason why that's the new thing and people are saying that is because we've been so exposed to show business. You've been hurt by the lack of authenticity. You've been crushed into believing that some of us, that God does not exist. Or not like it's played out in the stuff like going to church or tithing or membership or singing hymns and sacraments and all that stuff. But now, here's the catch though. But now in your own kind of way, you and I ironically are doomed to repeat the same things we hate about show business religion. Just sort of in a zillennial, millennial, Gen X, postmodern, post-church kind of way. We're following the new rules of being good. The new rules of showing off, good moralist, or, or we're spiritual is the word that's used. We're, we're, we're self-balanced, right? We're spiritually balanced. Some have excised, right? Like taken good things and have wrongly defined it under this new term. We're about self-care, right? Same thing as self-help. It just sounds cooler, right? Well, you know, you do mercy real good, and you let everybody know. You do justice real good, and you let everybody know. Or you're cool and big world about it. You're, you're multi-ethnic and woke. You're not anything like your parents. Here's the scary thing. There isn't one type of self-writing religion, right? We're all in here. And, and this is my point. You know, those of us who criticize folk who seem to be more traditional or conservative or whatever in their faith and more committed, it's easy to be like, ah, that looks like that fake religion. When in turn, in reaction to it, we go on and create our own self-writing religion. We too, anybody. Anybody can be drawn to the lights of being good by looking and acting good or feeling good. 
by being moral but misguided in a misguiding stage star of Christendom. But this glorious sitcom of Christianity isn't just about the performance. It is also about the competition and comparison. You see, the idol of self-writing religion puts us all on the survival island of religion and lives by pointing out the weakness of others and the strengths of yourself and your actions and your behaviors and how you think. Look at what happens here. Look at verse 11. The Pharisee, once again, stood by himself. He stood afar from everybody, right? I want you to understand that, that standing by yourself, right, looks a lot like what I'm doing right now. Nobody else is up here. I'm standing by myself because I am on stage, right? Everybody look this way, right? He stood off. He stood, he, he, he upstaged himself. He, he stepped into the spotlight of the community. And this is what he does. And he prayed this prayer. I thank God that I am not like other people. <laughs> that is his prayer, right? It, 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 I think what's real interesting here is uh, he just says it out loud in an assembly, right? He, he says it. I, I thank God that I am not like other people, right? Cheaters. Sinners, adulterers, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector. Right? You see it? I'm the man, he's saying. I am right because I am righter than or not as bad as this person. You see the, the standard here? You see the means of righteousness here? Actually happened in a church I was a part of. It's part of a church plant in Charleston, Agape Inner City Christian Assembly, and we had um, some, some real interesting situations in that church, right? Um, and we were in church one day, and these guys came in, and they didn't want to shake hands with anybody. Oh, we, 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 don't, we don't touch others or something like that. Right? And I was like, uh oh, oh, we in trouble. Who who these folk? And they stood up in church, right? It, I don't know if it's testimony time or like I think we did a little public prayer time. And they actually got up and they said to the pastor, Pastor Dallas, you are a liar. Right? And they said, Look at these women in your church. Look how they dressed. They're all prostitutes or something like that. I think they used a crueler word. And he pointed to a woman in our congregation. The story that this woman had, the words he used were directly condemning to her because of her story. And I remember it just looked like she just collapsed, like crushed, like fell in on herself and sat down and just balled up, right? This is what this Pharisee is doing. He's saying, not like this person, right? 
in the comparison things. Our religion is an idol when, when our faith is subsidized by not being like, oh, this is hard for me to say too, right? Not being like those other churches. Uh-oh, right? Or other Christians that are so lost. Or the suburban monolithic churches. Or the lack of mercy or justice churches, we're better. Or the lack of excitement churches, they're so boring, they don't have the Holy Spirit. I'm so guilty of it too. I think we are better, right, than mama church or our sister church. And sometimes I major on talking about our differences in ways that make our church look better. Okay, that make me feel better about what I'm doing. Some of us have even, even like having others who are not as good as us, as we are around, because it just makes us worship and, and our faith so much richer, so much stronger when there's others who have, so many more, who have so many more problems than we do. Maybe that's why some of you really like being in a church like this. Look at them. Look at them. Wow. I'm, not, I'm doing pretty good. I've heard some of us over the years of pastoring, conversations driven by how bad others are in ra- their raising of kids or time management or other things, not because you want to help, but because you want to help yourself to a helping of their moral weakness. You're eating off that. You're feeding your faith with that. You know, I, I used to like playing Madden. I don't play it anymore. And I'll tell you why. I used to like playing Madden on the video game, Madden, for those who don't know. St. Madden gone on, right, to the Lord, right? He didn't fly. He went on a, on a bus because he was afraid to fly. Okay, moving on. But I used to play just so I could beat you real bad. Like, I would play others in this game just to see whether my money play or plays could work every time. And it would work. You want to play Madden? Yeah. And this is me. I I don't know if I'm that good. Come on. You know, I guess, you know, I'm just a pastor who does this on the side. (laughs) Oh, I feel so good. Like so good. I'd start doing onside kicks. I love One of our local seminaries is reported by one of our interns at the time that they had a make fun of bad theology day in class. Make fun of the bad liberal theologians day in class. Man, there's like 400 years of really bad theologians when it came to race and gender issues, right? But none of their names came up. When I was at Covenant, Right? Y'all probably, pre- you know, I had a professor who says, you know what, when you, because I was a, a interning at an at a, at a African-American church over the summer, in, in, in PCA church, and, and he said, man, I bet y'all spend all day, you know, talking about how bad we are. Right? Because that's the thought. We just sit around and talk how bad we are. No, when you're pastoring a church, you got your own issues you got to deal with. Right? But that's how religion works. But why do we perform, y'all? What's at the bottom of competing and comparing for self-writing? 
what's at the bottom of it? Rejection. Right? Because rejection is part of the human experience, part of the broken human experience in a broken world. We don't believe God could love you or them unless we win the blue ribbon. Unless we make the honor roll. Unless we're the successful kid or we're first chair. We have to be what daddy wants instead of daddy wanting what you are, right? Like these are lessons, uh, uh, derogatory lessons that we've learned over time. It's almost part of the human soul, right? For some of us, it's, it's about that parent thing of don't embarrass me, right? Win, be good, be someone, be something else, you failure. And we have learned that faking and performing and acting and competing, guess what? It works. We have friends because we hide a lot about of our, a lot about ourselves, right? We have the acceptance of our parents and world because we have performed well. We have beat back everyone else. We are on top. We are worth taking note of. We are worth keeping around. And what does that tell us? That deep down we are trying to outrun the real truth about ourselves. That we believe we're not much. You know what we really believe? It's terrible. That our real selves are not worth keeping around. No one or very few people, not as many who do now, will really love us if our weaknesses and failures were known. If our real fears and likes and dislikes were made known. I'll wait, talk about the the ideas that I had down here for another idol that we'll discuss later. So I'll move on. And so it is better, right, for the survival of, of our souls to fight to be loved than sit back and trust and believe that God or others will somehow accept and love our real selves for real so we compete we run we exhaust ourselves we get in the arena we get on stage and we say look at me I'm worth it yes it is better to feel and even fake like we are worth loving and worth someone, something, than to live in the reality of being less than what people will like and what we believe God wants. I'm telling you. I'm not saying it because, you know, I know how bad people are, how fake people are, how competing people are. I'm telling you because I know myself. I've lived a life. I'll be 50 this month. I've lived a life of competing and performing. And man, being the firstborn African-American male in a family that wants black excellence, oh my gosh. I would rather sometimes die trying to be excellent 
and righteous than live life not being. My health ain't great. I'm exhausted, right? I don't want to make this about me. Yeah, I'm on spotlight, whatever, but I want you, I want to connect with you because I know you're tired of running and performing and competing. And every time you, man, social media, oh my gosh, right? Every time I turn on something, look at some reels on Instagram or something on Facebook, I'm like, dang, I'm old, right? I, I just, it, I'm just looking around thinking, what a waste of 50 years. Look what they are. Look what they got. Y'all seen the new 10-year challenge thing? Evil. Because I have yet to see anybody put that that looked bad. Right? Anybody, you seen anybody put one up where 10 years later they look terrible? <laughs> Only the people who've lost some weight or whatever or got a new whatever something with better style put it up. And I know we're talking about different idols, and we'll talk about the idol of vanity and sexuality and all these kind of things in this series, but I just want to draw out that religion is very similar. Righteousness, right? Feeling holy, feeling acceptable before God is like going through TikTok. And the people who post their pictures think they are right. In religion, diverse self and higher spirituality, right? Uh, 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 Being the most conscious person around, being the most woke, being the most aware, being the most pious, being the most, you know, one who gets it all and sees all the angles, right? A great way to prove yourself to God and others and yourself that you are okay. And speaking of God, yeah, let's talk about him for a minute. If the whole God thing is about performance, and competition, hear me now, then our faith takes on a different turn and caricatures and makes the Lord as the needy one in this thing. Let me explain. The idle self-writing religion can easily put the Lord in our intensive care where our righteousness actually becomes his earthly life support. The tithe, the fasting, the Pharisee's loud prayer are praise and validity about him, but reflective of God. And he is being sincere. He believes God has given him the good life he has, but the Bible says he prayed by himself. This is about himself. By his righteousness, his prayer and God's response are effective. Interesting language here. It could easily be translated that he prayed to himself. Which means he did not do it for the glory of God, but for the sake of God. He's a good self-righteous man, right? God, I want you to be okay. I want the world to see how good you are because how great I am, right? I want to be the mediator of your holiness and greatness through the world. And if I'm not, If I don't give my blood, my effort, God's vigor will end. If I don't stop doing this or that, God will hemorrhage. God will become an invalid, right? 
And our faith becomes the stuff of a symbiotic relationship. If we don't do our part or perform well and make it happen, God's not going to act, right? God is not going to happen or has never happened until our righteousness goes before him. Uh, unless we're able to give the, 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 the battery of our righteousness to God, God can't perform. He needs our righteousness as validation, and we need him to make us feel good about ourselves. It's transactional. And if we don't infuse God with our self-righteousness, we will have no God. God. So we want to keep this good thing going. We want to keep this culture of God alive and well. So we work hard and well and strive and behave right and make new and stronger church rules and performances. We need to check ourselves. Right? How you exercise and live your rightness, your spiritual balancing and worth, does it die or suffer if you fail and only activate and work if you succeed? Does your faith only work if you win? Does your faith, is your faith only right and correct and good and strong and powerful and, and, and relevant if you are the champion in it? Is the faith of Scripture, is the God of the Bible only true, only right? If you are successful and prosperous and victorious and found your destiny and on a spiritual high all the time, is that the only way your faith works? If you have the right spiritual balance, some of y'all think, right? <laughs> right? In your personal and this, this yin and yang thing, karma savings, righteous savings account, you got this thing mixed up and confused and discombobulated, that's what you think. Like my mama used to say with her God, grace, affection, this ain't how it works, baby, right? And like a good ICU, we live as though our unrighteous, unrighteousness will destroy or kill the Lord. Look at how the Pharisees distance himself from the unrighteous. He says here in verse 11 again, I thank God that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I, I'm certainly not like the tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. In other words, I am not like those that kill you, God, that shame you, God. I'm not like those who make you hide your face, God. I'm not like those who make you not want to show up to the baseball game as the parent because they know their kid's going to strike out, right? I'm not like, God, if I don't make the honor roll, I know you're not going to show up at the meeting, God, right? I'm not like those failures, right? Religion can so easily become God's personal center of disease control. The idol of self-writing religious puts God in a bubble. It puts a guard around him. It quarantines God to stop the unrighteous and evil acting from being around him. It insulates. It says, not you. Don't come any closer. Don't come in. You can't be a part of this thing. It insulates our problems and our issues from God so that our faith and our church and our religion and our God will not die from our sin and sinful people and mistakes being exposed to him. The Christian faith and power just might die if those folks are loved and honored 
God might weaken and fade if he gets too close and looks like he's hanging out with those folk. My issues, my struggle. Let me put on my protective suit. Let me put on my disease control, moral, behavioral, environmental protection suit, right? Let me put on my show, lest I contaminate this good God and good religious folks in their church. You know what? Yes, I took a vow, like all of you, to promote the peace and purity of the church. But don't get it twisted. You and I should not and did not take a vow to insulate our sins and issues and people and problems from the Lord. That doesn't, that he doesn't want anything to do with troubled people or people's troubles. Let me take it further, that God can't handle the truth about us. He can't take your unrighteousness or, or kinds of issues. He can only take the outwardly religious, but cannot and will not stand for our deeply, spiritually messed up relationship, relationship with him. He, he's got to have us right. You know how many times I've heard people when I say, hey, look, you know, back in the day, y'all, I was a pretty like, pretty, um, what's the word? Uh, zealot evangelical. Yes, thank you. If evangelical means people of the word, I'm still that too. Um, but like, I would take tracks to school, y'all. I'd be like, hey, you know, if you were to die today, God, y'all know that. Some of y'all been in the campus ministries. Y'all know how it works. Right? Um, and God has a wonderful plan for your life, right? Could you please define wonderful? Does that mean I won't have any problems anymore? Does that mean my, you know, I won't feel sad when this guy I like doesn't like me? No, that's not what it means. But anyway, but you know, I, I used to have these kind of things, and and I actually believe people would say to me, Howard, I can't become a Christian because I won't make God look too good. I'm not ready. Well, how do you mean you need to be ready? Because, you know, I got to get some stuff straight in my life first. Right? Like, I got to deal with this sin because if I come into the church like this, oh, boy, I'm going to mess up the church. Right? I'm going to mess up God. I'm going to mess up my relationship with the Lord. He don't want people like me. Here's the irony here about this. You know what makes me, make, what makes me think about Church can be like seeing folks in disease suits and others in black suits and ties with black shades, kind of guarding the room for ordinary people without holy clearance. So if you were to drive up the church today and you were to see a bunch of people in hazmat suits and then you were to see some black suburbans with some people in some dark suits, and what would you think? What I would think, there must be a real conspiracy going on in there. There's a cover-up happening. Something aliens going on. You see, the truth is the idol of self-writing religion is trying to cover up that there's this God conspiracy going on in Christianity. Did you know there's a true conspiracy in Christianity about God that many self-writing religious folk don't want you to know? or we hope isn't true about God or gets out about God, 
Look at the prayer by the tax collector. He uncovers the conspiracy real quick. He says, but the tax collector, what does he do? Stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven and he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in, uh uh-oh, pages sticking together. He beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He blurts out and publicly hands over the documents, right? He, 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 he gives over the text, the hidden emails and documents about what God is truly doing. And this is what God is truly doing, that God calls sinners and folks who have failed to be able to live out, self, live out self-writing religion, right? That, that we are sinners and, righteous, and a righteous, a, 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 that we are sinners. And God hears and deals with people, get this, who can't be good enough or fast enough or first enough or moral enough or religious enough to ever consider themselves worthy to be a Christian. This man blows the conspiracy wide open. Even for this Pharisee, he reveals the truth. We are sinners. We need help. Christians need mercy. We are undeserving and can't in and of ourselves do anything about it. That you are God. I am not. You can forgive even when I can't. Get this. The tax collector who would be the most sellout, most self-centered, creepy, and greasy person in Jewish society at the time, working for the man, taking poor folks' money and homes and giving it away is the one and right relationship that day. He's not trying to be God's good son or God's helper, but he sees that he, he sees that he needs God's son and God's help. Could you imagine that the person who refused, and some of us, I'm just going on one side of the issue right now, please don't get mad, but could you imagine that the person who refused, I'm not getting vaccinated or wear a mask, and made everybody sick is the one that God receives? <sighs> I want to make this hard for all types of righteousness. Then God says something about the prayer that blows the roof off the synagogue and what continues to take the ice off things. And he actually kills human religion for all times in verse 14. He says this. I tell you the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The sinner was justified, not the righteous acting guy. The sinner was accepted as righteous before God. Jesus is saying true religion is a work of a loving God in which he sees and saves sinners who can't dare to look up to heaven and help themselves. That in a person's inability to make themselves better or good enough, God does the work. God takes the risk. God moves on their behalf against any attempt idol religion may make in order for God to be a savior of sinners to justify you and me to have us sit and stand as righteous before him. In order for your expression of religion to be accepted, God had to suffer for your mess-ups. 
He did suffer for your lack of orthodoxy. And because he wanted you so badly, on the cross, he took our, the contamination of our sins. He was humbled so that you can be accepted. He was humbled so that you can approach him and be the church. He was, unlike the sinner, he was distanced from God so that you could be righteous and come in. And here is the message of the conspiracy and message of true religion. Come. Come, you sinners. <laughs> Come, you rejectable. Come, you who are tired of running the race of perfection. Come without the protection of a show-off behavior. Come without a resume of you've been pretty good. And even call more of the broken world to him. Make things messy for him. <laughs> he wants a messy community. Because he's the God of salvation. Come and be loved by him. And let Jesus suffer and die. And even be called scandalous. For loving and keeping around people like you, you and me. That's true Christianity. That's truly authentic biblical religion. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. We've all tried in various ways to be righteous before you. Lord, I pray that you would take our righteousness, our desire for righteousness, and make it a hunger for your holiness. A hunger to do and be what only you can do and make us. Yes, Lord, give us energy and power and drive and heart for the mission, for the justice needs, for the needs of broken folk. Yes, Lord, give us a heart to tithe and to give, just like the Pharisee. But give us a heart that says, we don't come because we do those things, but because of what you've done for us. Balance that, Lord. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.